Are you looking forward to eternal rewards? Or are you unaware that there are rewards to be had? This too is an issue we must address. Rewards are so important to God. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6 in the Amplified says this, But without faith it's impossible to please and be satisfactory to him. For whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him out. 1 Corinthians 3, 8, 8 to 15 The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he's built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. We are God's fellow workers, Paul says, God's field and God's building. We're not our own, we're his purchased possession. And the only works for which we shall receive a reward are those which Paul speaks of in Ephesians 2, 8-10. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The only judgment that we will ever encounter is the judgment of our works the ones that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Once we're born again, God will firstly establish us in our sonship, and he'll do that firmly too. We must know whose we are. He will then take us into servanthood, friendship, and finally we become his love slave or bond slave, as Paul frequently described himself. Having established us as sons, we recognise we are part of his family, dearly loved and precious. He will begin to outline the works he's prepared in advance for us to do. These are the works that will attract rewards. We will not be rewarded for church service. We will only receive a reward for those things that God has planned for us to do. Roger Price has an excellent tape on this entitled Palaces on Mud Hats. Mud Huts. The premise being that your works will provide one or the other. God may have called you to be a teacher, a mother, a bus driver, a shop assistant, a secretary. Follow your heart. You know what God is saying. Don't do what other people want you to do. Do what he is telling you to do. Do what he is saying. The point is that in everything you do it as unto the Lord, as you follow his call and you're led by his purpose for your life. 
you match his intentionality with yours, his purposefulness towards you with your purposefulness towards him. You align yourself with him and his purposes. You work as yoked to him in loving dependency and service. There's no difference between the sacred and the secular. All of your life is to be done in loving dependency and service to him. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Colossians 3, 22-25 says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it, not only when their eye is on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong and there is no favouritism. We have the delight and privilege of being able to serve the living God. Oswald Chambers says this of Paul's call. I have appeared to you for this purpose, Acts 26.16. The vision Paul had on the road to Damascus was no passing emotion, but a vision that had very clear and emphatic directions for him. And he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Our Lord said in effect to Paul, your whole life is to be overmastered by me. You are to have no end, no aim, and no purpose but mine. Paul wasn't given a message or a doctrine to proclaim. He was brought into a brilliant personal relationship to Jesus Christ and it was him he proclaimed. It is the Lord Christ we're serving and we serve in the place and in the manner of his choice. If we choose our own place of service and type of service, we shall not receive a reward on that day. So as beloved children, we're meant to serve the Lord because of our love for him who first loved us in the place of his choosing, and for that there will be a reward, guaranteed. As always, we must hold in tension the fact that we are not saved to serve. We are saved into relationship with the living God. And from that relationship, follow our work and service. It's both our privilege and duty to produce fruit. And one day our fruit production will be judged. He is the original quality control inspector. This isn't the judgment of the believer. It's a judgment of production in terms of good works. And it's the quality of these works that will be judged. God has placed a dream in each of your hearts. It's that dream brought to fruition that will bring forth fruit and result in a reward on that day. I recently heard that someone in Graham Cook's ministry had always wanted to be on a police forensic team and after serving in the office for a spell they left to fulfil the dream that God had put in their heart. What's the dream he's placed in your heart? One of our number has a gift of scribe. She's a master calligrapher. After being thwarted as a young girl in her dream, God is now releasing her into fulfilling that dream. It is not too late 
for your dream to be fulfilled. Listen with your heart. What about the return on this seed then that we're given? 30, 60, 100 fold return? It is quite possible to produce 100 fold return on that imperishable seed as in the parable of the sower because the seed is top quality. What determines finally the size of the crop is the quality of the soil. The soil represents our receptivity to God. How receptive are you? Your crop will depend at the end of the day, the quality of it, on your receptivity to God. Is your heart open to God? The more you release to him, the more he multiplies. You remember the parable where Jesus describes the three types of soil. In the first, the word comes to the heart, but it bounces off and Satan comes along and removes the seed as quickly as possible because he doesn't want it to enter the heart. That describes the unbeliever. In the second, and here we see the believers, the seed enters the heart and remains. There's some soil, but it's shallow. It starts well, but it has no deep root, and it withers before it bears any fruit. The second type of believers is then, believer is then described. In this case, the seed is sown among the thorns. The cares of the world and the attractions of the world trap the believer and growth is choked. And church and the world walk hand in hand. And the lures of a moment of pleasure today put the rewards of eternity into subjection. It's only on that last soil, the good ground, that the seed comes to some sort of maturity and even then it produces a variety of amounts 30, 60 or even 100 fold all depends on the soil so it's quite possible to produce a hundred fold for God depends on the quality of the soil the seed is top quality it's our receptivity our obedience at his call and command that finally determines the quality and the quantity of the produce. So this judgment doesn't apply to us but our production and it will determine what reward we receive when we get where we're going. There are crowns to be had. If you decide that you want to get the best out of life, out of the here and now, you may find on that day all you have to uh, be judged is wood, hay and stubble and it will be burnt up at the judgment seat of believers' works. It's up to you. You decide how much you're going to put into this Christian life and God will meet you wherever you choose. He's like that. Only the Holy Spirit can produce any good in us at all. It's his fruit in our lives and it's only as the Lord deals with us and we allow and embrace the changes that the Holy Spirit can mould us into the character and likeness of Jesus. That's the only genuine production there is. The flesh can produce no good fruit or works at all as we've already seen. It's all about displacement, his life in place of ours, one life to be lived, his through us. So qualifications for friendship with God and in amongst this we'll have a look at the life of Abraham.
The man who stands out in the scripture as mentioned as uh, being a friend of God was Abraham. Your life in God is every bit as significant as his. God knows the circumstances of your life. You have a purpose and a destiny in him. You may not be an Abraham or a Moses, but you may be an Esther called for such a time as this, or Ruth, who was part of the line from which Jesus was born, or even a Deborah. What God unfolds in time began in eternity. This truth will give meaning and purpose to your life and it will create in you purpose, urgency and motivation if you will allow it. God plans for eternity. Nothing is second guessed. Everything is planned. God is in complete control. Before he created the world, he planned who he would call and in the fullness of time he called and instructed them personally. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Paul, the list goes on. And just as he had a plan for the greats who were raised up to feed the many, so he has a tailor-made plan for each one of us in our own circumstances. He doesn't need our ability, it's our availability. He doesn't need our brilliance because he is brilliant. He created us not for time but for eternity. We are the eternal companion of a glorious king. He is shaping us for his eternal purposes. He's told us all we need to know in his word. He chose us, Ephesians 1, 3-6, called us, Romans 8, 29-31, and he is shaping us. Intimate relationship with God is a process. If you respond to him by yielding your life unconditionally to him, you will become aware of what you might have missed if you said no to him. Eternity is the starting point as far as God is concerned. Paul was at pains to assure the believers in Ephesus that they had been chosen before the foundation of the world, having been predestined according to his good pleasure. Paul went on to assure them of their extreme significance to God and his eternal purposes. God's desire for you is that you will live with a sense of excitement and anticipation. We were designed to live intentional, purposeful, joyful and meaningful lives. We are working towards hearing that well done. This sense of God's eternal purpose was true of Abraham, Moses, David, Paul, etc. Every person, in fact, who has been greatly used of God. The common denominator in these men, though they made mistakes, was their heart attitude of faith and obedience. God called and they responded. Abraham was no more looking to leave Ur than Moses was looking to leave his sheep. God broke into both their lives and they obeyed the call. So the first thing is the call and the response of obedience and faith. Remember from last session, faith is active, it moves you on. When the call comes and you respond, God will enable you to do all he asks of you. You do not need to try to work out how this thing will come to pass. The call of God carries with it 
the cast iron certainty that he is with you both to will and to do. Your part is to respond in obedience and faith. If we look at the life of Abraham as our example, it's important to note there was no sign of rebellion in the man. There was failure, but it wasn't born out of rebellion or hardness of heart. When God chooses a person, there is purpose, and he does so according to the heart. He looks for a loyal, good heart, full of trust and faith. He looks for someone who loves him with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. Anything less than this isn't acceptable for the carrying out of his purpose, because unless the person has such a heart towards God, he'll be arguing with God, rejecting and disobeying him, and ultimately would stray away from him. So I want to use the life of Abraham briefly, who was called a friend of God, as an example of how God shapes and those he calls his friends. Abram's life was characterised by his obedience and faith. When the call came, he went out, not knowing where he was going. In absolute obedience, his first move was to follow the Lord's bidding. He went out in faith. However, if you follow his life, you'll see that he didn't always get things right. Firstly, he took his father and Lot with him when he left Ur wasn't instructed to do that, was told to leave his family, but this caused him some problems later and it delayed his journey. He goes on to lie to Abimelech regarding Sarah, Genesis 20 verses 1 to 18. He hearkened to the voice of his wife like Adam before him and went with his wife's servant Hagar instead of waiting for God, for the promised son. But in matters of faith and obedience, perfect. When God asked it, he was prepared to offer up his only son, knowing that God was well able to raise him from the dead. When the Lord wanted to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, he stood before him and bartered for the souls there. You can read this in Genesis 18, 17 to 33. I'll just start for you, uh, Genesis 18, 17 to 22. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? friendship there. Since Abraham will surely become a, might, a great and mighty nation and in him all nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he's spoken about him. And the Lord said the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And then begins, of course, Abraham's evidence of friendship with God. God tells the man he can trust what he's going to do. So from verse 23 on, Abraham begins to barter with God. But he starts by saying this, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty within the city, will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place 
for the sake of fifty righteous who are in it? I know you, he says. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I'll spare the whole place on their account. And so he goes on, and you know the story. If I find fifty, forty-five, down again, Lord, don't be angry, thirty, down again, don't be angry, ten. And when this is finished, the Lord departs and Abraham returns to his place. Abraham, the word tells us at the beginning there, was still standing before the Lord. He lingered in the presence, knowing he wanted to speak to the Lord as a man speaks to his friend, to make supplication for Sodom and Gomorrah. When you become God's friend, he takes you into his confidence and tells you what he plans to do. He places you in the place where your intercession may save a nation. Abraham talks to the Lord face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And he knew God's character so well that he says, Far be it from you to destroy the righteous with the wicked. I know you. You wouldn't do that. During the course of his years travelling with the Lord, Abraham's character was developed to that of a patriarch, leader of a nation, a man God could trust with what he wanted to do through him. God had him, and he entered into the process of maturity. It took years, a lifetime in fact, but God knew he had good soil to work with. God's not in a hurry when preparing his people for his purposes. Smith Wigglesworth, I think it was, who said that when God's hand is on a thing, he grinds it exceedingly slowly and fine. One of the primary things Abraham learned was how to wait, and wait well. He learned how to trust God in everything, to give him what he asked, knowing that God was good and meant him no harm. His faith was counted to him for righteousness. He knew the nature of this great God who'd called him. All the time this journey was taking place, character development was taking place too. Gifting is not enough. We can destroy in five minutes by our character what we've spent five years building with our gift. And your gift may take you where your character cannot keep you because your flesh chooses the easy way and it'll eventually trip you up. Summing up then, we've looked at the flesh versus the spirit, living in our spirit and not our soul and how important that is in order that we may come into everything God has for us. We've looked at the issue of which works receive rewards and at a life of obedience and making choices. 
the purpose of today is that we might be effective in the kingdom of God that we might live in that place Jesus died to give us seated in heavenly places in him that that might become a reality to us that we might learn to run and cooperate with the Holy Spirit in his work in us in these days nothing will succeed that is not of him John 15:5. without me you can do nothing he must increase we must decrease everything depends on prior engagement of our heart one thing is sought between heaven and earth and that is to behold the Lord and live in his presence to have the presence of God you need to be present with God there must of necessity be time spent with him in stillness and intimacy hearing his heartbeat is finding out the eternal purposes of God for your life that leads you on that motivates you to walk consistently patient endurance perseverance let the Lord show you your inheritance let him lead you step by step into bridal partnership this is his desire a bride who works with him in his purposes in times past we've asked him to bless our efforts and he has he's walked with us but now in this time he's calling us to walk and work with him in bridal affection and partnership nothing but nothing will work that he doesn't initiate he will reveal himself to you and out of that will come the function and the call on your life we have a primary and a secondary call on our lives the primary call is to be like Jesus. The secondary call is to do the things he did and even greater things. So, some keys. Number one, live purposefully. <coughs> Excuse me, Ephesians 5, 7, 15 to 17 in the Amplified again. Look carefully then how you walk live purposefully and worthily and accurately not as the unwise and witless but as wise sensible intelligent people making the very most of the time buying up each opportunity because the days are evil therefore do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish but understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is live purposefully lukewarm apathetic people will be lunch for the devil we need to be doing something that has value if you are married raising your children can be your destiny pray that your seed will fulfill their destiny don't procrastinate discipline yourself to complete the task God has given you number two grasp what the will of God is you need to have a goal and a purpose every day Commit your works to the Lord, Proverbs 16.3, and your thoughts will be established. You can't waste your life. Ask God for a personal development plan for your life in line with the calling he has for you. Train yourself up. Be ready for the time when release into that calling comes. If what you're doing doesn't minister peace to you, don't do it. Don't be what expe people expect you to be and don't do what they expect you to do. Follow your peace. Let peace be your umpire. Number three, turn your head off. 
Judge by your heart, not your head. Turn your head off and see what's in your heart. What God wants you to do may make no sense at all to your head. Don't try to be like someone else. If you're in hiddenness on the shelf, something is being dealt with. Learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Most times pressure is God, not the devil. And before make a decision. Decide. Make a decision that you are hearing from God and do whatever he asks you. He'll put it right if you get it wrong. Failure to move may mean failure to fulfill your destiny. Trying won't cut it. Half doing it won't cut it. Believing is what is needed. It's his responsibility to speak to you, not your responsibility to hear. He'll make sure you hear, believe me. He is more than capable of ensuring that you hear what he says to you. You listen. He can make himself heard. When you hear, do what he says. Seek him diligently. He will be found of you. Do you want to be able to say on that day, I have completed the work you gave me to do? Do you want to be able to say with Paul, I have finished my course with joy? I know I do. God has predestined you. He's planned a path for you to walk in. It's your inheritance, beloved. Whatever he's called you to do, you couldn't do it unless he called you and he will equip you in that calling, but your choices will govern your steps. You can't find out running to someone else. You seek him. You do it. You wait on him. You do it. You spend time with him. You do it. He will lead you into your inheritance. Psalm 16.5 The Lord is my portion. He leads you to pleasant places, the path of life. In his presence there is fullness and pleasures forevermore. The Lord leads you to pleasant places into the path of life, which includes deep personal satisfaction. Ephesians 1, 14-18 in the Amplified Bible says this, that spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance, the first fruits, the pledge and foretaste, the down payment on our heritage, in anticipation of its full redemption and our acquiring complete possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, the people of God, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. For I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, of insight into mysteries and secrets, in the deep and intimate knowledge of him, by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light, so that you can know and understand the hope to which he's called you, and how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints, his set-apart ones. In the Song of Songs she says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. She realises that she is his inheritance. She is possessed by him 
and he is her inheritance. We are his inheritance. We are what he suffered and died for. We are his. He bought us with a price, his own blood. This is what motivates us, letting the Lord choose our inheritance for us. Yielding all our hopes, ambitions, wishes to his plans and purposes, there is no safer place to be. That's what prophetic words are. His stating his prophetic destinies and our inheritance over us. He speaks out his intentionality towards us, his plans for us, his desire for us. That's what prophecy is all about. If you have prophecies over your life, get them out, look at them, pray over them, find out what the will of God is for you and begin to move towards it. Psalm 37.5 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. First, first, delight yourself in him. Then, the desires he has planted in you, he will fulfill. When you find out what he's called you to be, be wise how you share. You have to learn to stand alone with God. Birds fly in flocks, but eagles fly alone. People may well discourage you. You may discourage you. This is where you learn how much you are addicted to everyone else's approval and opinion. Testings will come. As soon as you start meaning business with God, the fun starts. Up till this point, the devil will leave you alone. Now he will bombard you. He's allowed to. God uses him though he doesn't realise it, to test and prove us. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. All oh, this is just another way of saying Matthew 6.33. Seek first and only the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. The Lord will add all the other things. It is the same as saying intimacy precedes our call. Everything comes from that place of intimacy. He is mine, I am his. Bridal partnership. If you don't allow the Lord to choose your inheritance for you, you will become one frustrated, angry and disappointed saint. You will be trying to claim an inheritance for yourself that isn't yours. Jeremiah 2.2 says this in the New American Standard Bible. Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals, your following after me in the wilderness. I remember. God is grieving. These people have missed the path, the presence and the pleasure. But they didn't miss him. They didn't miss him. When you see with the eyes of your heart, you'll want to be a father pleaser. And this keeps you walking with the Lord because you want to please him. This isn't about unconditional love and acceptance. You already have that. This is about sonship, relationship, friendship and pleasing your heavenly father. It's a family business. It's relational. We obey because we love him. If your motivation for walking with the Lord is anything less 
than being a father pleaser, you'll find yourself in all sorts of problems. God loves the world, he's decided to love the world, and out of that decision came redemption and the revelation of his heart to his family. When he begins to reveal his heart to his family, we begin to love the world also. We love the world because we love the Father. That's our motivation for going and serving, because we love what he loves, bridal partnership. What's my motivation for ministry? I'm not trying to adjust the way God does things. What I'm trying to do is to find out the will of the Father and then when the son sees what the will of the father is, the son begins to try to do it. That's the way Jesus did it. His heart's desire was to do the will of the father. That should be our heart's desire too. Friendship is conditional on excellence of service. Do whatever I command you, no matter what. So there are no casual friends in the kingdom. Do what I command you, no matter what. No matter what the cost to you. It's based on abiding in the vine, on excellence of service, love and faithfulness to him in that which he calls you to do. It's not based on getting it right and not making any mistakes. This is an issue of the heart. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And this is my commandment, that you love one another. Oh, Jesus, ask us something easy, please. He's talking about a quality of servant who's prepared to give up everything, no matter what the personal cost, in order to display the character of Jesus. So the Lord said, No longer will I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all the things I've heard from my father I've made known to you. He was taking them into his confidence. In his foreknowledge, he knew most of them would die for him. If not physically, death would be at work in their flesh life so that eternal life could be manifested through them. In fact, the only one of them that survived uh, and died a natural death was John. Friendship demands the cross at work in my flesh and the mind of Christ being formed in me. Friendship demands, depends on the quality of obedience and faith we will display. Sonship is given, friendship is earned by service and loving obedience. And it's the combination of sonship which is given and servanthood which produces the friendship. This is where we need the touch of God on us and he sends the spirit of his son to touch our hearts in relationship with him and the presence of the Son's life within produces an extraordinary level of servanthood which provokes the response, No longer will I call you servants. I have called you friends. You are my friends if you love as I love, think as I think, and behave as I behave. As he is, so are we in this world, John says. Prerequisite then, dying with Jesus by death reckoned mine, living with Jesus a new life divine, looking to Jesus till glory doth shine, moment by moment, O Lord, 
I'm thine. Friendship releases revelation at a much higher level and it draws us into the high places of God's confidence where his purpose and destiny begin to unfold before us. No light thing. That revelation in friendship leads us into a greater revelation of, of servant sonship which starts the whole process all over again. So there are degrees of sonship, degrees of servanthood and degrees of friendship. Each time you go round there is a whole new level to be gained and each time the cycle moves around and goes up it starts again. There's a greater process of death working through you and a greater anointing in and on your life because the anointing is the presence of God within. His life working through you. No longer two lives to be lived but one. His through you. He must increase, I must decrease. Romans 12, 1 and 2 Consecration, dedication and the good will of God. Jeremiah 29.11 God has a good plan, but we will not enjoy it without that consecration. Surrendered servants become friends of God. Count the cost. Pay the man. Keep your eyes on him, not on what it's costing you. Give up your plans. Submit to his. Launch out into the deep where there will be a catch. Guaranteed and fruitfulness guaranteed when you abide in the vine. The decision is yours. Before you can go on to spiritual maturity and the privileges that go with it, you decide, you choose, whom you will serve, whether you will continue steadfastly in the faith. Do you remember I started by saying that a doctor first has to diagnose the complaint you don't go to him to receive comfort but to find out what's wrong and what to do about it. It's encapsulated in Matthew 6.33 in the Amplified Bible. But seek, aim at and strive after, first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, and then all these things taken together will be given you besides. Magnify God, mortify the flesh, Simplify your life, take up your cross, love as he loved, and learn to live the Christ life. To be called by Christ to follow him into his love is to be invited to enter the freedom of marvellous sonship with the Father. It means coming to enjoy friendship with Jesus. It leads to the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And in all of this sublime interaction between God and me, the enfolding love of Christ pervades my spirit and leads me to loyalty, unity of purpose and overwhelming gratitude. I love because he first loved me. His desires become my desires. His standards become my standards. His work becomes my work. His will becomes my will. His life becomes my life. This is not grudging servitude, but a life overflowing with the love of God. A life of following the beloved and touching a weary world 
with the love of the Saviour. This is not for an elite few. It's not for some exclusive band. And it's not some exclusive experience reserved for the inner circle. It's for all who will respond with their heart to the call to follow him, no matter what. Would you be ready to respond wholeheartedly if God were to take the initiative in your life right now? Is your heart responsive and committed so that he knows that you are responding to him no matter what he asks? Are you willing right now to release your life to him in love, faith and obedience so he can reveal his eternal purposes for you? A.W. Tozer again said in his book The Pursuit of God If anyone wants to partake of this he should remember this is holy business. No casual or careless dealings will suffice. Let him come to God fully determined to be heard. Let him insist that God accepts his all that he takes things out of his heart and himself reigns there in power. It may be he will need to become specific, to name things and people by their names one by one. If he will become drastic enough, he can shorten the time of his travail from years to minutes and enter into the good land long before his slower brethren who coddle their feelings and insist upon caution in their dealings with God. Let's pray. Father, help us. Father, we've heard what you're saying. Father, we can hear the cry of your heart that there's no one else that you've ordained to touch and to reach a hurting world. Help us, Father, to let go of ourselves, our toys, everything, that will hold us back. The siren voice of the enemy who wants us to stay where we are. We come trembling, Lord, but we do come. Root from our hearts all those things which we've cherished for so long, which have become a part of us. Help us, Father. Be in us, Lord, to will and to do. Help us to choose this day to serve you, the living God. To follow you. To follow your path through our lives. To give ourselves wholeheartedly to you for your purposes for our lives. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you.